listeners, welcome back to Bun to Brooklyn. We are currently in season two. This is episode 14, and I have our wonderful guest and correspondent with us, Kayla. Kayla, if you don't remember, she was one of the voices in a previous episode talking about the Shanghai lockdown. Kayla, how is Shanghai currently? Great news. So we were able to go out starting yesterday, June 1st. And then it was, it felt definitely very surreal. You saw people and then you saw cars. There are also like shops opening, although you can't really dine in right now, but you can do takeout. People were getting haircuts finally after two months on the street. And a lot of people out biking, shopping, and really just having our lives back. So definitely very happy that everything's back to normal now. That's awesome. My parents were celebrating because my dad is quarantined separately from my mom. He's currently quarantined in his office and he's like, I can come back for the Dragon Boat Festival, <laughs> which is like, right? Yeah. It's the Dragon Boat Festival. And like, usually like families get together and like eat. And so the first thing he said is like, I can come back and then get soup dumplings. <laughs> that was like the first thing he wanted. Definitely. I also went kind of a little bit crazy yesterday, ordering food and yeah, walking out. It it definitely felt amazing. That's great. That's such good news to hear. Hopefully you guys don't have to get locked down again. Oh, wow. (laughs) Like not go loose right now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's awesome news. Cool. Well, today we are actually going to talk to a very special guest named Derek Neo. He's a fourth generation Japanese actor, and he is recently portrayed a character in this miniseries called The Terror about for season two. It's about the Japanese internment camps. Super interesting show. But he also talks a lot about his heritage and how the terror has connected him back to his Japanese heritage. But before that, quick shout out to a couple of things that are happening at 1990. So since 2014, 1990 has conducted their teacher's workshop program, which is a series of interactive professional development sessions with renowned experts, resources, and lesson guides for immediate use in the classroom, uh, as well as interactive discussions with lecturers and fellow teachers. Registration is open for free. It's online. There's professional development and curriculum development sessions, which feature guests from UC Berkeley, USC, and a lot more. You can find out a bit more information about it by visiting the 1990 website in the show notes for some more information. All right, cool. Before we head on to our conversation with Derek, please be sure to follow us on all our social channels. It's Bun to Brooklyn, or feel free to email us at b2b at 1990institute.org. Again, also subscribe to Bun to Brooklyn on any of the podcast platforms that you listen to, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. All right, cool. With the show. Hi, Derek. Welcome to Bun to Brooklyn. We always like to have our guests introduce themselves. So do you mind giving yourself a quick intro? Sure. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Derek Mio. I am a fourth generation Japanese American actor and stand up comedian. Prior to us chatting, I 
had the pleasure of watching a few of your YouTube videos where you did some really fun impressions. One of my favorites, I think that you were just doing it even before our conversation was Keanu Reeves, but like, tell us a bit about like how you got into acting and wanting to be in a career where you're, you know, in front of the camera and like telling stories. Well, that's a a perfect question for me to to talk about that because it's actually doing impressions was kind of the earliest display of my desire to perform. And that comes from my mother who does impressions to this day. Whenever she's telling a story that involves a family member or someone from church or even like a celebrity, she she acts out the voices. She does the voices of the person. And she's been doing that my whole life since I was a little kid. And I'm sure I got a kick out of it, but it was also this kind of, it that that was normal to me. So I would, I would do them. I remember watching Saturday Night Live, the Dana Carvey years, if you guys know who he is. And, and Dana Carvey was this, and still is this amazing impressionist. He would do George Bush Sr., you know, he'd, he'd do, not gonna do it, gotta go get Saddam. He's bad. He's bad. Not gonna do it. Not, it's not prudent. And and there there's actually a cassette tape of me at 10 years old where I'm using my dad's tape recorder and I'm pretty much ripping Dana Carvey's George Bush Sr., like word for word sketch. And family, they're laughing. You know, I'll do it in the car my brother is like interviewing me and I'm, I'm, I'm acting out him and Ross Perot, the, the other presidential candidate. And, and, you know, as a kid, when you get those reactions, people laughing, making adults laugh, it's, it's intoxicating. Right. So you just want to keep doing it. And, and I would like all the way through high school and even my friends, uh, you know, I played basketball. I didn't grow up doing theater. I was, I was a pretty shy kid. I still am, but, you know, acting and stand-up is kind of an outlet for me, right, to ex- express myself. And me and my friends would do impressions of our, our coaches. We had this one coach who would, yeah, he would, he would just scream, come on, rebound, get your elbows out. And so we would just, he had a very distinct voice. So we would even at school, even to this day, when we see each other, we're like, oh, come on, get your elbows up. It, it's just, it's just something that we did. And in high school, I was, I was on the basketball team, didn't do theater. I always thought I was going to go to UCLA and I don't know, and, and just be like undeclared major. And then because at UCLA, you can't apply to the film school until your junior year. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll do that junior year. But at USC, you could apply a freshman year. But I was a public school kid. And I'm sure my parents never thought I was going to go to USC private school. It's very expensive. But it was actually on the way back from touring the UCLA campus that we stopped off at USC. And I saw the film school and they gave us this private tour and they they showed off all their buildings it was you got suckered nothing. in yeah, you got suckered yeah into I really the did you know they, they had a movie theater they had a movie theater on campus where they taught classes you would you would watch movies on an actual movie screen 
and and then write papers on these movies and i was like oh my gosh you can you can major in this stuff i didn't know that this was possible and then it was actually a family friend who heard about that that had graduated from usc film school and when when he heard about that he started kind of rushing me as if it was a fraternity like you should apply to usc film school he's to this day he's he's a he's a mentor of mine and he he's he's very passionate about curating you know uh filmmakers and and film buffs and so he wrote me a letter of recommendation and wow. i'm i'm sure that had a big part in me getting in to yeah. USC film school, which is, it's a very limited amount of students who get in every year. So it was this really hard decision between going to, and I actually got accepted to both on the same day. It was just such, it was a really like. That must've been super know. overwhelming. Like we, we did an episode on Lowell high school and it, it was just the intenseness or like intensity of like how competitive it is to get into any of these UC schools or USC. So that must have been like super overwhelming for you. It it really was. It really was. It was like, because, you you know, you get the big envelope, right? And the big envelope is like, oh, wow, that's the acceptance letter. And that was from UCLA. So that was very exciting. But then I, I got a small envelope from U, USC Film School. And everyone was like, oh, I guess, you know, you didn't get in. But I, I, I actually, I remember this. I took it into the bathroom and I had this like, I had this Charlie and the Chocolate Factory moment. To myself where I like slowly opened it and then I saw on the paper congratulations and I was like oh my gosh I got into USC film school and then so it became this big decision of like where am I going to go this expensive private school but it's like the road less traveled like you like you you got to take advantage of that opportunity and that's what I did did you do comedy while you were at USC as well or you've always just been focused on like production work and film yeah no no I was I was not no I only started doing comedy maybe like five years ago and there was a point where I, I started going to a lot of shows mm -hmm. with friends and then a, a friend of a friend was performing and so we went to the comedy store to watch her and so now I I know someone who was doing it so it it, it felt more accessible and then one day I just went to an open mic and by the time I went up there, because when you're a newcomer, they kind of put you up later on. And there was only like few people there still, but I, I was, did my impressions and, and then I made Anthony who was hosting and he was laughing, he was giggling. So I was like, okay, you know, if you can get those laughs, those chuckles, right? Like the, that's like, okay, I can do this. When I saw you recently, you were hosting a fundraiser for the Terasaki Budokan, the Japanese American Community Center in LA. I felt like that was your, like you were natural. I was like, oh, wow. Like Derek was introduced to me as like a serious actor, but like the comedian side of him is like, it just seems like it just comes off really naturally. So that was cool. And I also, I liked how you gave Taishi, like he was like his first stand-up gig as well. So you're like paying it forward. So I thought that was really cool as well. Yeah, that's I, I appreciate that, Sean. Well, I having been acting now for uh almost 20 years now, it's like I I've had the advantage, right, of 
getting over that stage fright or being more comfortable performing in front of casting directors or even crew, like when you're on set. And a lot of stand-up comedians might not have that experience. So just getting up in front of people is a big challenge to overcome. So having come from acting first, I think I had that advantage. But I was actually hosting and producing my own show in Koreatown before I booked The Terror, which is a, a drama series that I did a, a couple years ago. And so when I started auditioning for that, I kind of stopped doing the comedy and stopped posting the comedy clips and content, right? Because I wanted whoever was mm. looking at me and, and to, to, for them to know that I could do drama because this is a very dramatic series, but there's, there's a lot of pain and, and darkness in comedy, you know, you sure. hear about that, that different comedians struggle with. So it's like the comedy is the outlet for that. So you can't have one without the other. Right. So that's why I enjoy doing both. They just, to, just to balance, balance each other out. And there's, we all have both the dark and the light within us. Yeah. I actually, I really love how you draw your life experiences, even your experience in high school, like playing basketball. Like, so how do you think your heritage plays a role in your comedy and acting? Well, yeah, that's that's the interesting thing about how I so, so to go back to how I kind of broke into the business, it was after I got that internship. That internship was at a commercial agency. It was at an agency that represented commercial actors. And while I was there, the owner started sending me out be, as talent because they didn't have a lot of Asian clientele at the time. There weren't a lot of as many Asians that were, I guess, acting as as there are now. And so that got me started to get the the headshots done and get the resume printed up. And and it was actually my aunt sent me a clipping from the Rafu Shimpo, which is a big Japanese, Japanese American newspaper. And there was an open call for a film by a filmmaker named Chris Tashima. And he had won an Academy Award a few years before that for a short film. And so this was his follow-up project. And it was going to take place in a Japanese concentration camp. And I was going to be playing a, a baseball pitcher and because they used to play baseball in the camps. And, and so my aunt sent me the clipping. She, she heard that I was, you know, acting and trying acting out. And so she said, here, why don't you apply for this? And I did. And I booked it. That was the first acting gig that I did. I think I might've done like a print job or like a non-union commercial, but this was the first kind of serious acting role that I had booked. I love telling that story because it's, it, it was the community that gave me my break because that film went to the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. And that's where I met my manager who got me my agent and then I was off to the races. And so I really, and, and, and to even go back further, how I even got into USC film school is interesting as well, because that family friend, he is a family friend because his father served in the military intelligence service, the MIS with 
my grandfather from Hawaii. So it's these these two mentors of mine that are connected to me through me being Japanese American and this project that focused on being a baseball pitcher in the, the Japanese internment camp. And so I do feel a responsibility and a kind of obligation to kind of honor that, even if it is with a couple jokes on stage. Eric, do you ever feel like you're, have you ever experienced like typecasting or going into a casting call and then recognizing that they wanted you to like play a character that you weren't super comfortable with? And the reason why I'm asking you this question is because for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, we actually had Cal Penn come speak at the place where I work. And Cal Penn tells the story, which apparently it's in his book as well, that he interviewed for a role and they wanted him to play this like Indian guy and they wanted him to play it obviously with an Indian accent. And like, he sort of went in thinking like, he like created this like whole backstory to this guy and like made it kind of funny, but he didn't want it to like do it with an, like a full on Indian accent. And like, they were like, if you don't do it with an Indian accent, we're not going to give you this this part and like he was obviously struggling he had to like pay rent and all that stuff and so like he had to sort of like play into that even though he was like super uncomfortable with it like I don't know if you've kind of experienced that with like any of the casting calls that you've gone to I don't think I've had that experience where they've been as blatant as oh do it do it with an accent I I I did do a role where I just I did the accent on my own. You know, I, I did an episode of The Good Wife where I was playing a, a Taiwanese student. I did try to do it to the best of my ability and talk with a friend and have them record it and try to sound as uh, authentically as I, as I could. But there, there was another show that I did where I, I didn't and I kind of just threw on it like a really kind of like, I guess you could say like a... Uh, general and a generally Asian accent and not feeling the the best about doing it that way. But so I, I, you know, it is important to try to do your research and be as um, authentic as you can. I mean, now it's, they, it's, it's almost like if you're not of that descent, then there, there's enough actors that they can choose from to, to, where they can cast that authentically. But yeah, that was a big lesson in, in, in trying to not be lazy about it. Yeah. And when you talk about like authenticity, like it's interesting because you're a fourth generation Japanese, like Yonsei, right? And I'm sure it feels very different from somebody who's like recently immigrated from Japan or might be like first generation Japanese immigrant. How do you sort of like, I don't know, feel about people who are maybe like first gens or like, have just like recently immigrated. And I know that like you have some sort of like social commentary in your jokes, but like it, it'd be very interesting to like hear about that because I know for Chinese Americans, it's the same, right? Like third generation Chinese Americans feel very differently from like first generation Chinese Americans. Sure. Sure. Yeah. My, my, uh, my wife is from Japan and so I'll do some some jokes on stage but also I'll, I'll run it by her and and sometimes i'll just check in with her you know is this is this okay she's like no yeah it's funny it's funny it's because it's also poking fun at my ignorance but it's also kind of highlighting the 
the the differences that we have. But yeah, like when when we did the the Budo comedy show, that I, I love bringing because there there were a lot of Japanese from Japan that were there as well as like fourth generation Japanese Americans there as well, and just kind of bringing us all in the the same space and just kind of having a laugh at at our own shortcomings or whatever but you never know you never know but there's people people will definitely point things out if things are not as uh, comfortable but i've always just wanted to to make people laugh and give them some some relief from from all the serious stuff that's going on so i'll always try to make adjustments where i can i'm actually really interested in that part of your experience because i think i mean i'm kind of chinese and i know my parents usually my parents chinese obviously they're usually very uptight in a way that sometimes when comedy touch on race or any serious issue they I feel like they're the population, they're the group that are more likely to be offended. Have you ever, I guess, like, how do you, if that situation happens, have you experienced any of that? And how do you respond to any of those? Yeah, you know, to to be honest, you know, I'm pretty sensitive too, you know, and so if I see a certain comment or something online, I, it gets me, it gets me really down and it does, it makes me not enjoy. I mean, there's been, and and I might be in that period right now where it's like, I'm not, I'm not fully enjoying doing the comedy. If it's, if it's coming to a point where people are not, it's not making them feel good. And I'm not just talking about my my own personal material it's just the kind of the culture right now but when i do do a show or even like an open mic and then people just you know will come up and say like i had a really bad day and i just i really needed that so like thanks for that that's where it's like oh man that's comedy can be so positively powerful but but yeah, there it's 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 a really sensitive time. And so that's where it's like, okay, I and, and also try to use it to to bring communities together. That's what I try to do at the Budo Comedy Show is curate a lineup that's very diverse and and even when I do certain shows. In the past, I've done shows with, you know, African-Americans and Latinos and and I'll try to incorporate some Spanish, you know, if I'm doing a show with Latinos and like talk about how my last name is Mio, it's it it means mine in Spanish. So, ladies, if you say my name, then I'm yours, you know, Derek Mio, Derek is mine, you know, and or you have um, that Nihama joke as well. The the Chinese one that that was good. Yeah, yeah, like ni hao ma, ni hao, right? Ni translates to you good, and then ni hao ma, you good ma. It's like don't don't black people say that? Just trying to find different ways to to connect and to also be in front of people, right? Physically and not just not just through social media, but so that you can really hear and see what the intention is behind 
the joke. It's 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 all just trying to create a good time. And so we can all poke fun at myself, poke fun at you, but also poke fun at me and my people. It's like I'm just point out the the things that are different, but also the things that are that we all share in common. That's what I love about comedy. It's like in person and working all all different religion and cultures can be in the same room and just share a laugh. You know, it's, I think that could be very powerful. So Derek, I wanted to talk to you about the terror and the role that you play in it. So for those of you, like for people who haven't heard about the terror, like what is like the premise of the particular season that you were in? Yeah. So I was in the second season of The Terror, and it is what you would call an anthology series where each season is has its own independent storyline. And so, so they'll take a, a historical event, but add a supernatural element to it. But so for our season, they announced that it was going to focus on the Japanese-American incarceration during World War II. And there's going to be some sort of uh, spirit that's haunting some characters. So uh, a friend of mine kind of sent me the press release about what the second season was going to be about. So I told my representatives about it and trying to look out for this. And, And so when we did the audition, I just told them, thank you so much for for making this project because my family was actually in the camps and they're like oh really like yeah like one side of my family was in manzanar which is one of the the bigger camps and then my my other grandfather was in the the mis the military intelligence service so i'm very connected to the material oh and also the the show starts in a community called Terminal Island, which was an actual Japanese immigrant community. It's located near the uh, the Long Beach Harbor, but it's since been, you know, raised and commercialized over. But my great-grandfather settled there, and it was a very thriving immigrant community. And my, my grandfather was born there, him and his siblings, they, they were there, and they had their own cafe. And they were they were starting to make some good money, and they opened up a second cafe. And the World War II happened, and then they got everything taken away, and then they got sent sent over to Manzanar. So this is a very uh, special project, also because this is the first time that the camps are being displayed on AMC, a very mainstream television network. And Ridley Scott is executive producer, so they had some 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 big names attached to this, and and so I just yeah wanted to do it justice, even though it's a horror show, it's not like a strict drama. I I feel like it was still an opportunity to to tell this story to a lot of people who had no idea and still don't know that this happened in America. It's it's so fascinating to me. I feel that you know so much about your like your grandpa's history. So before you came into the show, did you already have the idea, or does the show help you to further understand your own background, your own history? Yeah, well, it's often said that that generation they didn't talk about it. My grandfather never 
talked about it. It was a very traumatizing experience, I'm sure. And they, they probably didn't care to revisit that very painful part of their lives. But, and it might've been that, that first film that I did where I played a baseball pitcher in the camp where either my parents or other family members were say, Hey, didn't, wasn't grandpa in, Oh yeah, they were in Manzanar. And, you know, maybe that could have been how it came up and, and how I heard about it, but also our family loves to fish. And so one of our annual trips we always try to make is up to Mammoth, uh, Mammoth Lakes up in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And, and on the way to Mammoth, you pass right by Manzanar. So we always stop off there and kind of just as a, as a pilgrimage, just kind of revisit the space. And they're always adding on to the, uh, the visitor center. So I've, I've been aware of it, you know, I've been, been aware of it and I've, I've done maybe one or two other projects that took place in the internment camp. So whenever someone approaches me to do something about that, I always try to try to do it, just create more content for people to be able to learn about it. Has this sort of experience with you acting on the terror and being physically in that location and like filming in that location, Manzanar, like, has that brought you closer to your grandparents at all or to your family? And like, does it help prompt them to like talk a bit about, about it a bit more? Well, my, my, my grandfather passed already, but yeah, definitely it really did. I mean, after that, I, I mean, it was during the, the filming that I, I met my wife, I had to speak a lot of Japanese and she's from Japan. So she, she was there through that whole process. She would visit me. We actually filmed in Vancouver, actually. I'd filmed a different project at the actual Manzanar, but for the terror, we filmed up in Vancouver, but but before going up there, yeah, I used it as an opportunity to uh, reach out to my grandfather's sister, who's still alive, and visit her and just kind of ask her, you know, if they're about her experiences. I, I had actually met with her a couple years prior to that because I was working on a like a personal project, like a documentary on some family members. So I'd already kind of reconnected with her. But anytime like a project gives me an excuse to to reach out to a friend or a family member. I always, I always do that and say like, okay, this is, this is a great excuse for, for us to reconnect. So we actually got together with a, a few other family members and we visited, there's a, there's a little terminal Island exhibit at one of the museums near terminal Island. And so we all went there, had, had brunch and then went to this museum and we saw these photos that we'd never seen before of like our, our family and our cafe. And I mean, after filming the terror, yeah, it was, it was a, a really, yeah. Emotional experience. I, I went to Japan with my, with my wife and we, we rented a car and we visited Wakayama, which is like four hours outside of where we were staying and visited this remote seaside town where my my relatives immigrated from and we i i asked some family members okay where where's our do we have relatives over there and like i think we had, there's like a bakery over there and so we like just 
went there, looked it up on Google and we found the bakery and we went inside and then, you know, my wife, she's talking, right? So she's able to communicate with them. And then she's saying, oh yeah, they, they know, they know. She's like the meal, meal song. Da, 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 da. Like, do you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Like George, George Mio, my grandfather, George Mio. Blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah. His cousin is here. So let me go get him. And then she's like, hey, yeah, his cousin's here. Like, what? Are you kidding me? And then so he comes out and he looks like exact, not exactly, but it's like, it's like my grandpa is like there in front of me again. And, and he, he, he had already passed, but it was like, he had the similar like head shape and like the laugh was similar and it was just like, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told this story to a, a friend director, Yoko Okamura. And, and she was like, she was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it like fucked you up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess so. I guess I kind of did. You know? <laughs> well, I, I, I see it as coming full circle, right? Like I, it seems like, you know, the community totally. kind of really helps get you into acting and into USC into like production work. And now the community has sort of brought you back to your roots and understanding your heritage and your family along with the unspoken history of a lot of like Japanese Americans, right? So I think it's a wonderful story of being able to reconnect with your roots and being able to like truly understand and like kind of live a part of like Japanese American history, right? So Derek, thank you so much for being on the show. We always like to end our episodes with a fun thing where we ask our guests what their favorite restaurant is in uh, the particular neighborhood that they live in. And so therefore we can pin it on a map. And if we ever come visit, we can always come visit your favorite restaurant. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm down in uh, Orange County in uh, Huntington Beach. And one of our favorite spots that me and my friends always love to go to is a place called Fuji Burger. And we've been going there since high school. And they got avocado, teriyaki, everything. So they got avocado, teriyaki, bacon, cheeseburgers. They've got uh, what I love to get is the avo terry chicken tacos. And they have avo teriyaki beef sandwiches and everything avocado teriyaki it's <laughs> it's uh it's really good it's yeah, really good i sense a pattern it it sounds out. tasty awesome yeah. perfect thank you well thank you so much Derek, for being on the show thank you guys is there anything you want to advertise or plug yeah the terror i'd love for people to check it out there's a lot of people that still have not uh, seen it including close friends or former close friends now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I know we're in different countries and there's different streaming services, but if you can find it, it's the the second season of AMC's The Terror. And our season's called The Terror Infamy. And it's just, it's really well-made. It, it, it pays uh, homage to the, the Japanese-American incarceration. We had a Alex Wu and Asian American, Chinese American showrunner, different people involved in the project who had family members that were actually uh, in the internment camps in Canada as well, because we filmed it in Vancouver. And we actually filmed in 
horse stalls where crew members' families were kept in. So yeah, the whole thing was just very, a really emotional, just really special, special experience. And it's just all also really beautifully shot. So there's a lot of different layers going on and I'm, I'm talking way too long about it, but please, if you, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, please check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Derek. Really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you guys. 